0: Um, We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15. Um, We're going to be reading the passage about the prodigal son, or the two sons, so familiar scripture. So if you have Bibles or an app, then feel free to flick there now. Um, I'm going to, I thought with it being a story, for the help of the kids, I'll put the words on the screen with some pictures. So I'm just going to walk over here so I can press the button, and if it doesn't feed back, I will read from the screen, if that's okay. So Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a different country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. I hope that was helpful for some of us here. So um, we're in Luke chapter 15 and the context where the actual chapter numbers are fall quite um, neatly in that there's three parables about lost things. There's a story about a lost sheep, there's a lost coin and a lost son. So in verse 24 of this passage it says, For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And there's more of an issue than just being lost, but actually we're going to get a glimpse of God's kingdom attitude towards lost people, his lost possessions. So the first story, we have a sheep that is pursued until it's found, and then it's celebrated. Then there's a story about a coin which is searched for until it's found, and then it's celebrated. And here we see a son who is pursued, who is accepted without judgment, and then celebrated over and there's going to be three themes that I want to pick up on this morning from this story. One, this is a, we've, been, we've very much had a gospel theme through the, mute, through the worship this morning, so that's going to be in here. There's an invitation to the lost. There's an instruction to us as believers on our attitude, and there's also an indication of what God's kingdom is like. And as Dan has mentioned before in this story, um, there's a strong emphasis on a very loving father who represents here God the Father. And it's really interesting to see, actually, how he responds to this younger son's request. Um, it's quite a big request, really. He's a teenager, probably, and um, he's asking for a lot. Maybe if we were to put it into our context, maybe if you imagine yourself, if you don't, having a teenage son coming to you and asking for one-third of everything you own to have it right now, please. Um, The implications of that would be massive, wouldn't it? If you own a house, you'd probably have to remortgage it. You'd probably have to downsize your car, maybe. And it's a parable, it's a story, but they were probably farmers. So part of his estate would have been his means of income. So imagine having to maybe give away some of your tools or or your computer that you work on or something like that. A huge sacrifice. It's a big demand. And... um, And what makes it bigger still is the reason that he wants his money now. Um, Is it to go to university? No. You might do that. Is it to set up his own business to give him some capital to invest in starting that? Again, that would be a pretty reasonable request, perhaps. It's a bit more like actually saying, no, I want to go to Ibiza. And I want to just have some fun, start partying, forget about the family trade. I'm going off... Um, as the story calls it, for some wild living. Um, it's enough to give a parent a heart attack. And maybe some younger people think, mm, maybe. Um, but, you know, how would you react? You probably, I think I would just think, well, I'd probably laugh because it's just such a ridiculous request that, you know, I wouldn't even entertain it. Or maybe um, you might sort of think, actually, i better keep an eye on that one. I'd better pull them in a bit closer We're going to probably take away some of their usual freedoms. We maybe need to sit down and have a serious talk because I don't like where this is going. But it's really interesting to see here, actually, that the father in this parable is actually willing to let let the younger son make his own decisions even when they're foolish. Very interesting. And it just tells us something about the father and the way that he is wanting to capture... Um, the life of this son and he's not trying to control him but actually this father in this story captures people's hearts and we can see this in our own lives there might be other people around us actually who um, we can see they're making foolish decisions and they're not going the right way in life They're they're making a bad decision and they're wanting to go away and we can't control that as much as we might have good intention for them we can't and nor should we try to But God's God's way of working with people is to to speak to their hearts. Maybe sometimes in a soft way, but not always. Because when we see um, it's Peter preaching in Acts after Pentecost, in Acts 2, and and they hear um, the word that's been spoken, and it describes the people heard this gospel message, and they were cut to the heart. Um, And their response was, to say to the brothers. What shall we do? Something happened in their heart. And the Bible talks about again in Isaiah 53. It describes Jesus. And it says. We are all like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to our own way. And then it goes on to describe. About Jesus crucifixion. And when we think about. Those of us who are Christians. How we were saved. We weren't saved through having our actions corrected. But we were saved. Because something got hold of our hearts. And that's was what brought a change in our direction because God isn't the controller of sons, but he's the father to sons. And He's not just a he just doesn't ex- instruct in, in, a, in just like a teacher way. He's a father. He cares. There's a relationship there. And he steers us by addressing our hearts. An amazing trait about this father is he is accepting of his son. He doesn't start loving this son just as soon as... Things have turned his life around. But actually, through the whole way, I think we get a little glimpse that he loved him when he was making juvenile decisions and even insulting ones. This father, if we sort of elaborate on the, on the father-son relationship, will have instructed him. He'd have walked with him. And yet, walking away, he's throwing all those good things in his face and disregarding it. His love was consistent in that. His love was consistent when he'd been in a dark place, this son. He was... As we saw on the screen, he was feeding and working with pigs. Um, some people quite like that. Um, there's just been a few born, I think, at, um, at one of the local farms. There's a, there's a new litter of piglets. But, and it wouldn't have necessarily been a big, big deal to a farmer, but as we hear about back in Leviticus, in Leviticus chapter 11, pigs were an unclean food. You can't eat pigs. Um, and whilst farmers would have worked with them there would be a stigma attached to this job. We've got um, a, a, a member of family of ours who used to be a Muslim, and he's not anymore, and so he, he can eat pork, but he doesn't want to, not because he doesn't feel free to, but there's a stigma that builds around it. So it would have been very shameful work in this context too, to be working with pigs. And actually, it was worse than that, because they seemed better off than he was. They had food, and he longed for some of their food and wanted to eat it. And in a short story like that, um, we can think, okay, that's a bad place. But I think this would have been a pretty dark place for him. His friends had turned his back on him. He had nothing left. He was hungry, and there was a famine in the land. Put yourself in it. It was dark. It It would have been a tough situation. And perhaps we can be sometimes surprised at how bad it can seem that God will allow things to get in our lives. Things can get pretty dark and pretty low sometimes and it can be quite perplexing. Um, but this son here in this story is allowed to go and feel the consequences for his decisions. And um, we can relate with him a bit. I mean, if we're honest, have we ever wished to be somewhere else other than the father's house? Have we ever wish to be outside of it. Or maybe not that far. Maybe we've just been jealous of people's lifestyles on the outside of his father's household. But the wonderful news in this story is that there's a way back. If we read um, in verse 17, it says this. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called, called your son. Make me like one of the hired servants. He finally recalls that there's another way. There's a glimmer of hope for him. But it's a bit like this. He's saying, there's a better life in my father's house. It won't be the same before. I can't return as a son. I've thrown that away. I don't deserve it, but I can go nearby. I can still benefit maybe from being on the fringes. Because he hasn't fully re-understood the father's love for him. And it's not a father's love that just melts once his actions have changed. No, his father's love's been there the whole time, ready and seeking closeness in relationship again. It says in verse 20 that while he was still far off, the father was filled with compassion for him. He was still far off. He was met with great generosity and that generosity desired to restore him fully. The robe was put on his back, the ring on his finger, and the sandals on his feet. Immediately, he's finding himself being treated as a close son. Special treatment. The fattened calf has been killed for a celebration. I guess it's a bit like getting the... I don't have this, but... A bottle of wine that's been laid down for 30 years in preparation for a special time. It was was set aside. It was special. And... We're finding here, we're seeing in the story that the most unworthy, rebellious person who turns to God is getting glorious treatment and being restored and brought in close. And there's good news in that because if you've been far off, God loves you and he desires to bring you back in close into relationship. Not in a second-rate manner, not things have changed now, but as a close-knit son relationship with him. Also, this son hadn't just been in a bad place in terms of lifestyle. See, actually, he had been bad for a while, but it took for circumstances to go bad for him to recognise it. You know, as somebody who's not a believer might say, well, if it was me, I would have taken the money and I'd have done something a bit more clever with it. I wouldn't have squandered it. I'd have used it sensibly. My lifestyle probably wouldn't have been like his. But... There's a bigger issue. It's not just about behavior and lifestyle problem, but there's a problem here about his position. His position in relation to the Father, his position in relation to God. So you can be a pretty decent person and still have a very big problem. He needs to be in the Father's house. It's where his feet were, it's where his position is. And, you know, as we, we find out about what this Father is like, if you don't know this God the Father, Then maybe, just maybe, something about this character is beginning to become appealing to you. There's a gospel message here. In verse 21 it says, The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And that's exactly what turning to God and repentance looks like. It's admitting the error of your ways. It's turning towards God and saying, I've sinned against you first and other people Second. And it's recognizing that God the Father's way is the best way, and that being where He is is the best place to be. There's that famous psalm, isn't there, of David, where it says, "Better is a thousand, um, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere." And this son, he chose to spend the thousands outwhere, elsewhere. But, G- but Jesus highlights in the Father's response that actually this is a life and death issue. He says, "For my son was dead." and is now alive again. He was lost and he was found. The Bible talks about the path to destruction being broad, but the path to life is narrow. It's a serious message, but it's a message of new life. And as we often refer to in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And the wonderful news about repentance is it doesn't matter where you find yourself. It's not about um, where you are now in terms of what you may have done and the circumstances you find yourself in. But it's the direction you now choose to go in from whatever dark situation you find yourself in. There's a way back for you. But what about us, Christians? There's a passage in 2 Corinthians 5, as I just referred to, verse 18. And the message in that runs really nicely parallel with the theme of this. And we can perhaps be like the older brother in this story. Actually, we've remained in the Father's house. I'm just going to read 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and, likewise, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God, making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There's an instruction to us as believers in regards to our attitude towards sinners repenting. There's two groups, I think, represented by the son, the two sons, the younger and the older. So as we've focused on a little bit already, there's the younger son, who perhaps would have challenged people's attitudes on the Jews and the Gentiles. So if you imagine the younger son being, representing the Gentiles, who have been outside the father's house, and other than the fact that mankind one day... At the start of all things with Adam and Eve was with the father. They've been away. They've gone away and they're away from the father. And their problem is is that they're out. They're out of the household and they need to come back in. But then also we've got, and what we finish with at the end of the story, is the older brother who perhaps represents something of the attitude of the Jews or the Pharisees. And um, I think this is illustrated in verse 29. But he answered his father, look. These many years I have served you, and I have dis- never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. So you could say the Jews, in a broad brushstroke sense throughout history, they've been with the Father in that they've, been, they've had his word. They've been within the earshot and the influence of God the Father. They've had his customs and things laid out for them that, that, that tells them about him. But, whilst like the older brother, they were in the father's surroundings, it doesn't necessarily mean, as individuals, that they've been getting hold of what God is showing them. They're in the good of what he provides, but they're not necessarily in the good of developing a relationship with him in a personal way. Are they being, are they not necessarily being renewed in their hearts and minds to think and to feel in the same way that Jesus is showing God the father does here. So, Whilst the storyline of the younger son, he messes up, there's, there's something of an understanding of grace for repentance that is learnt through that interaction. But with the older brother, actually, his actions look good and he was faithful, but he didn't learn to understand how to extend grace to other people. He had done exactly what he should do. He says again in verse 29, I've been slaving for you, never disobeying your orders. Slaving. It's like working for somebody, but without any relationship involved. Or in the Pharisees' case, diligently keeping the law, which is commendable. Working hard and doing the right thing in that way is commendable. But were they developing a heart like God's? A heart for those who are described here as far off, lost and dead. No. I think Jesus is trying to address an attitude of actually diligent service but disdain for sinners repenting and not showing them grace. Because it would have seemed like perhaps an insult to their devotion, like in the brother who's saying, all this time I've been doing the right thing, um, so surely I deserve to reap the rewards. And likewise, The opposite is true. If somebody's not been doing the right thing, then there's no reward for you. There's no reward for you. But that's not the kingdom of God. That's not the culture of the kingdom of God, is it? If you're familiar with the story of the workers in the vineyard, which is in Matthew chapter 20, and what happens is there's a vineyard who's hiring workers for the day. And some come in at the start of the day, and they work all day long. And some are brought in right towards the end of the day. And yet at the end... They're both given the same payment. They're given exactly the same thing. And this is good news to people who, have, who are turning to God or have recently been saved because it means that you get the exact same thing as everybody else. There's equal access to the Father. There's eternity in heaven. There's complete forgiveness, treated as legitimate sons and daughters, accepted joyfully and celebrated over by God. I mean, what more? What greater things are there? We can, we can think about maybe, well, I was around when, I don't know, let me think, during the harvest week. Big, big landmark for those of you who've been in the church, or when we moved into the Jubilee Centre, or, or when Arnold was here. And we can think about maybe, well, you know, I've had these things in my walk with God. But it's a bit like, these things are great, and, and I don't want to play them down, but in comparison to what's available to all people, as soon as they believe, they're small. It's like being, getting everyone, when they're saved, getting a new car. But then some saying, ah, but ours came with a free air freshener. I mean, so what? You know, These things are great. But come on, there's an amazing generosity here from God, our Father. And um, in the, we need to question ourselves, are we carrying anything of the attitude of this older brother is there anything in any way in our reactions when somebody turns in repentance to God that's anything short of rejoicing? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Or to paraphrase, our salvation is from God who's restored us into relationship with him He has now also given us this job of showing others that they too can have a restored relationship with him. And it continues in verse 19, not counting people's sins against them. And I think this story ends in a bit of a cliffhanger, really, as the father comes to address his son. He says, My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because the brother of yours... This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And the father's expectation that there's celebration in this. It's almost like, come on, get on the back of the conga, we're going. But he's angry. But how can he, fa- he respond to the father in this? He can't accept it. Is he gonna, which way is he going to go? We're not told what happens. Does he say, actually, yeah, you're right, father. I'm coming. I'm joining in. Or, or does he say, no, I'm staying out of it. We don't know. And I think that's left open-ended because it it forces the question to us to say, well, okay, how am I now going to respond? Particularly, I think it gets more grey, perhaps if somebody's just in the early stages of turning to God and perhaps they've not repented yet. After all, in this story, the father, as I mentioned before, he ran to the son before he even had a chance to hear what he said, to find out the full extent of whether he was repentant or not. And maybe somebody that we come into contact with is, is just recognizing something about the truth of God, or, or maybe they're just contemplating that, that God could be real, or, or just enough to come to an event. You know, I believe we've got an um, alpha course coming up later in the year, and this is the sort of people that we wonderfully have the opportunity to start to interact with and to meet with. Uh, and, and actually, the outcome of somebody's decision, it might not be inevitable, it might not be guaranteed that they're going to choose to follow God and come back into the Father's house. And they might just be going in the direction of their life and pausing for a second to take a quick glance. There might not be a lot that we can, we can bank on, but a question I have for us is, when they do, are they going to find us eager, awaiting, in anticipation, with open arms to accept them? having grace for sinful people long before it's ever been earned or deserved. So I just want to give us a few quick pitfalls that we could fall into that are similar um, to this older brother. He had a sense of pride about his actions over the younger brother. He had not walked away from the father, and he was probably too proud to admit that he ever could. And actually in Romans it tells us to... Look at ourselves with sober judgment rather than thinking too much of ourselves, in in Romans 12 that is. But actually, not thinking of ourselves too highly, but thinking of ourselves with sober judgment. And having this attitude that that could never be me who walked away from God the Father is really unhelpful. And whilst we're convinced, I'm convinced I'm not going to walk away from the path to God, I can't say that I'm immune, I can't say that I'm immune from making foolish decisions More faithful Christians than I have. But if we have a sense of sober judgment about ourselves, then we can much more readily empathize with those, I think, who have made foolish decisions in their lives. Secondly, um, we can set conditions for forgiveness. Um, Hannah gets me on this one all the time. If we've had a fallout and maybe she says sorry to me and I'll be like, well, that's not good enough. Is that all? That's not enough. And and every time she's right, and I don't really like it. But she'll say, "Is that how God forgives us? Is that how God forgives you?" Um, And yes, I know, it's terrible, but but it just seems. Um, Anyway, um, God doesn't put conditions on our forgiveness when we repent to Him. It's incredible, and that's what we also need to do when people turn to God. the father in the story throws the party straight away. He doesn't sit them down and say, well, okay, let's have a look at the decisions you've made. Let's walk through this together first. And I'm not saying these things are unhelpful, but the joy came first. And he also didn't sit down and say, well, we'll celebrate once we've figured out that you're now going to make better decisions and you're going to make a more sensible path going forward. No, there was a joy at the at repentance immediately. Thirdly, there can be resentment and distancing yourself. The older brother, um, he has full access to the party. He can be there. He's part of the family, um, but he won't. And it's easy for us to criticise this attitude perhaps in the Pharisees um, who would distance themselves perhaps from other people. Um, but when we, again, we bring it to here and now, it can be tough. We can think, why are they getting so much attention? Or if people really knew what they were like... Um, you know, we're, we're the committed ones. You know, we're the ones who really belong here. These are terrible thoughts that I'm sort of putting out there, but we can be very simple sometimes. I can. Or, or maybe it's more subtle. Um, there can be just a subtle them and us bias, the mature Christians and the young Christians. Um, this, this brother had, had this them and us bias. He didn't say anymore, my brother. He talks to his father and he says, this son of yours. You know, he won't even... Admit that they are one in the same in some way. It's this son of yours, not my brother. Or perhaps we can be sometimes a little bit more austere. The wise thing to do is to act with caution and see whether they stick at it first and just keep a distance for a while and maybe let the welcome team do their thing first. Or I wonder if a core group leader spoke to them yet. Or or just too busy. We're just too busy because we've got so many legitimate problems in our lives. To reach out to that person. I've just... This is me, I'm good at this. I can do that when I've got my life sorted out there and I'm nice busy and my kids are doing this and then I can do it because I'm in a good place. But it's it's not like that. Um, Fourthly, bitterness and comparison. Um, Quiet and consistent faithful service like this older brother, it attracts very little celebration and attention. So we need to be careful and to watch ourselves, making sure that our serving doesn't... Develop some kind of a bitter attitude and actually focusing more on that things not going so well and going how we want them to be than actually being in the Father's house and while we're serving, developing a big heart for the lost. That's what this brother could have been doing the whole time, and we can protect ourselves from that by making sure our actions are motivated by worship to God, by enjoying God and doing them for Him rather than for recognition to others, and vice versa. We don't want actually serving to become about prestige for servers over, you know, focus on sinners and seeing them saved and grace for sinners. We've just got to be careful that in all these good and wonderful and precious things that we do, that actually we don't miss the point of what the whole thing was about in the first place. The real purpose is to be ready to accept sinners. So, we've seen a little bit of the fact that there are There's been a gospel message, an invitation to the lost. And we can see that there's there's some uh, challenges to us as believers who are saved on our attitude to those returning and repenting and coming to him. But also, we just get a big, nice picture, and we've picked on it a little bit already, of what God's kingdom is like. And I'm just going to run through a couple of verses to summarise as we draw near to an end. Okay, in Ephesians chapter 2... In verse thirteen, it says, "But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ." And then, skipping to chapter two, verse seventeen, he came and preached peace to you while you were far away, and peace to those who were near. For both, sorry, for through him we both have access. To the Father by one Spirit. It's interesting in that verse, isn't it? It talks about preaching to those far away and those who are near. And you can probably put the, the Jews and the Gentiles maybe in those two categories. Um, actually, whether you're somebody who's away from God or you're somebody who's struggling in, in service to God, we both need it. We both need that message. And God's kingdom is one that reaches out to both parties, which is amazing. And it tells to us that wherever we consider ourselves to be this morning, God longs to reach out to us. In verse 19 of Ephesians 2, it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. God's kingdom isn't one that just saves people, but it's one that adds them in and brings them in close into the household. And, and language like citizens and household It's not something that we use today. But I think practically, it just looks like friendship. It looks like accepting people. It looks like preferring other people's needs, enjoying them for who they are, or at least enjoying people for what God is doing in them. It's amazing, actually, when we spend time with our Father, who we can end up liking when his heart for them begins to influence us and rub off on us. Are we remaining in close relationship with God? And are we including other brothers, other people as brothers and sisters in Christ along with us? Again, in Ephesians, in verse 22, it says, And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling place which God lives by his Spirit. In other words, the bricks and mortar of God's work here includes people from all different backgrounds and all different past lives. He's using all these different types of people to, to build his kingdom and we seem likewise, ready and willing, to accept like Jesus undeserving sinners amongst us. The penny, I think, dropped for Peter on this issue. Um, just quickly refer to it. He's, he, he's in Acts 10:34. He sent to, to speak to meet with Cornelius, who is a Gentile, and he says this. He says, "I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears Him and does what is right." And if God accepts without favoritism, then we must do also. The father, again, as I keep saying, he runs to this lost man. He's on the front foot. He's not passive. He's not just waiting and seeing. He's in there. He's straight away. And um, to him, lost people, they're not challenges. They're sons. They're sons that need to return. They're not thing obstacles to try and get around. He's delighted at that idea. And for us, it might seem that The idea of reaching out to lost people, the people that we know, and the idea of them turning to Jesus can seem like a monumental thing. It can seem like a bit of a burden. And I know personally, I can just give up because it's not easy. There's easier things to do. But I think that what was probably intended for this older son, and and certainly is for us as believers, is that as we spend time with God, and as we spend time in his household and in his presence serving him, that actually that's an environment where we develop a heart like his, one that cares, one that, that is rubbing off on his attitude for people and beginning to develop eyes like his for people who are away from him. And as we get that, and as we begin to care, and as we begin to get some of that concern, then the whole idea becomes a lot easier Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, it says, Paul praises God for his glorious grace which he has freely given on us in the one he loves. And God the Father has given out his grace to us really freely. And because he's shown us such acceptance for us when we've turned from sin, we too are fully equipped to show grace and acceptance to other people wherever they are and wherever they've come from. And I just feel like God's challenge to us this morning is about, are we developing a big heart for lost people? Amen. I'll pray. Thank you, Father, for your amazing love for us. I thank you that you care for us, Lord Jesus, and that your heart is for those who are away from you to return to you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for, like Rachel mentioned, that we've been forgiven so much And so we can let go of any wrongs against us and we can forgive greatly, Lord God. And I just pray that for anyone who feels that they're away from you or for anyone who has never known you, Lord God, that you would speak to them by your spirit and show them that there's a way. There's a way to be accepted legitimately as sons with the same stuff that everybody else does, the same rightfulness of being with God when they turn to you. God, and I pray for those of us who identify with the older brother who we've been with god the father the whole time would you help us just to watch our walk to make sure sure that in our faithful service lord we're developing a heart like yours lord jesus that is accepting and forgiving of others that is accepting and on the front foot we've been willing to welcome those who are thinking and walking towards you lord for the first time or having been away for a while God, speak to us. Influence our hearts, I pray. Lord, and bless us with your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'll invite Mike to come up and, um, and lead us in some worship. Thank you.